All right, friends, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. It is great to have you here. Let's see who we have. Joy, welcome. Steve, welcome. Lisa, welcome. Adam, welcome. Stan, welcome. Olia, welcome. Ben, welcome. Mom, welcome. Leah, welcome. Mike and Sarah, welcome. Donna, welcome. Alex, welcome. Donna and Fred, welcome. I know it's confusing when we have multiple instances of names. So listen, we'll all, we'll all make it work. Um, Marnine, welcome. Ariella, welcome. David, welcome. Sarah, welcome. Fran, welcome. Paul, welcome. Friends, we got a full house. By the way, breaking news. Breaking news. In a few weeks, we are going to be back to in-person classes and a hybrid option to take classes on Zoom if you're not in town, if you can't make it. So we are going to try to incorporate the best of both worlds, pre- and post-COVID worlds, combining to provide multiple opportunities to engage in Torah study from the comfort of your home or the comfort of this home, the Chabad house. Oh, by the way, we're in the shul. You guys notice? Yes? It's so weird when I move it and I keep it aligned with my head. It looks like those movies where they have that, that camera thing. Say it again. Oh, that's so nice. That's so that's so nice and cynical. So real. Are you really there? I, I legit. No, this is legit. Yes. Could you do it one more time and swing around? Uh, sure. We can absolutely. Yes, for sure. Swing it around. There it is. Boom. This is the synagogue. All right. Uh, we got more people joining. All right. Let's begin. We have too much, too much to get to to delay any further. All right. So friends, welcome to Torah studies. This is our weekly exploration of the Torah portion. We have a tremendous conversation tonight about the obscure, the overlooked, the seemingly irrelevant, and how looks can be deceiving. What seems to be irrelevant might actually be the most important thing that you ever did encounter. So um, here is the deal. The Torah portion is Pinchas, and the main, I would say like the main thrust of the Torah portion is the story of Pinchas, which we told at the end of last week's Torah portion, where he spears, right? He spears no effort, spares no effort in spearing um, Zimri and Cosby, who were in the act of sinning and bring about a plague upon the Jewish people. Long story short, he basically takes out the sinners and thus stops the plague, upon which God says in the beginning of this week's Torah portion, Behold, I am giving you the covenant of peace, the covenant of the kahuna. So that is the core idea. That is the main point of that story. I am dropping puns and not stopping to let you realize that I'm dropping the puns even as I do it, because by now you should be well trained in the art of Rabbi Ari Punnery. Now, so that is the, uh, that's the core idea. It's a sharp story, but like that's, that's the point of it, that you have Pinchas, who is ending the plague, and he gets the, 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 the Brit of uh, Briti Shalom. God says, I give you my covenant of peace, the covenant of the Kahuna. All right, this, the Torah portion continues with the conversation about the daughters of, so, uh, the census happens, we're at the end of the 40 years of wandering, the Jews are at the cusp of entering the land of Israel, this is their final stop before the land of Israel, so the Torah portion talks about the census, a final count before the Jews will head into the land of Israel, they were 601,730 strong, if I recall correctly, men between ages 20, 20 and 60, about two, 2 or 3 million strong in total. And then we, we have in this Torah portion the story of the daughters of Tzalavchad who wanted a piece of the land of Israel, but their father had died and there were no sons or only daughters. And so they ask, you know, they petition for a, a piece in the land, uh, for a, a, a plot of land. And Moses said, let me take it up with the boss. The story comes back. The answer comes back, yes, they can have the land. That Upon which God tells Moses, by the way, they're going to go into the land and get a piece of the land, but you won't. Go up in the mountain, take a look at Israel because that's the closest you're going to get. You're not going to enter the land. Moses says to God, please appoint the leader that will guide them in my stead after I'm gone. And, Moses, and God says, sure, let's appoint Joshua. It's not going to be your son. It's going to be Joshua. He was dedicated to Torah, dedicated to you. And thus, that is clarified. 
And after all of this, and after all of this, after the story of Pinchas and the census and Salafchad's daughter's petition, successful petition for land, and Moses' unsuccessful petition to enter the land of Israel and for his son to become successor, and after Joshua's appointed, the narrative shifts. And it's almost like a tale of two parshas, right? A tale of two portions. And there's a shift in the narrative. And instead of talking about the story of the journey and the story of the travels, we have a seemingly unrelated topic out of nowhere. And what is it? It's the subject of tonight's class. And, and what is that? The communal offerings that were brought on the holidays. You heard me right. On the holidays, there were communal offerings that were brought. Well, how do you know which offering, which animals that you bring on, to, to bring on which holiday? Good. That's the second half of Parashat Pinchas, the second half of our Torah portion. Details, the holidays, and their sacrifices, exactly what was supposed to be brought. In fact, this reading, the second half, I guess it's the, the, the last third or whatever, the second part of our Torah portion is very famous on one hand because it's read on the holidays, it's read on Rosh Chodesh, it's read on the opportunities when you bring those offerings, and, uh, and that's, that's the way it is. So what we're going to do tonight is look at this section of the Torah that details the communal offerings and the holidays, ask a bunch of questions, give several answers, and hopefully walk away with some life lessons. That's the goal. That's how we do it in Torah studies. The goal is to take a topic in the parsha, examine it, ask questions, give some perspective, and hopefully have a lesson that can apply to our lives. So let's begin. Um, I, I sent out an email, I believe, sent out an email, I think last week, end of last week, um, that shared a preview of this new season of Torah studies. If you're not on the email list, let me know and we'll get you on the email list. Um, in that email, there was a link to the Amazon page, to the Amazon listing for the textbook for this, um, for this session, for this, for this season. So if you got that link, so you should have, uh, so you can take a look and, and, and take a look at that book. If you have not received that link, if you didn't get the email, you didn't click on that, on, that, uh, on that email, then you might want to open it up and check it out because if you want a copy of the book for your own uses, you can have it. It's handy for reference. Steve, hold that up. Look at that. Steve has got the book. That's exactly what it looks like. It is um, gray and green maybe. So what my book looks like. All right, that's the color scheme for Torah studies. Again, let me know if you need the link. I'm going to try to drop it in the chat at some point, but I want to jump in right now to the text. So we're going to start, we're going to start with an excerpt from this sacrificial holiday, communal sacrificial uh, section of the Torah portion, the second half of the, of the Torah portion, and we're going to highlight Rosh Hashanah. That's a good holiday, Jewish New Year. So let's go through it together. I'm going to share my screen that has the text, so even if you don't have the text, don't worry, I got, I got you covered. Um, let's make it a little bit bigger. Okay, here we go. And let's ask Adam. Adam, it is great to have you here. Please unmute. Okay, got it. There you go, text 1A, jump in. Okay, wait, where is it? Uh, the first day of the seventh month? Yeah, that's it. It should be a holy occasion for you. Do not perform works of labor. It should be a day of shofar calling. You should bring a burnt offering as a pleasing satisfaction for Hashem. One young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. There you go. There you go. The Torah says, first day of the seventh month. That's Rosh Hashanah, by the way, the first day of Tishrei. Holy occasion, no work, shofar calling, all good. Shofar, show good. And then the Torah segues into really the main feature of this reading, which is about the communal sacrifices that were brought in the temple, on the holiday, it talks about a burnt offering, a bull, a ram, seven lambs, etc. And it does this for each holiday, and it does this for Rosh Chodesh, and it does this for Shabbat, it does this for all special occasions, it details the sacrifices. All right, so far so good. All of that is great. At the end of this entire section, at the end of the entire enumeration of all of the sacrifices and all of the communal offerings that were brought on all of the holidays, 
the Torah tells us something fascinating. And I will tell you, moreover, it is the final verse of the entire Torah portion. Pinchas concludes, the Torah portion of Pinchas concludes with text 1b, with this final verse. Adam, if you don't mind, read one more. You did 1a, if you don't mind, do 1b. Here it is. And Moshe spoke to the children of Israel of all that Hashem had instructed him. There you go. The Torah portion concludes, and it wraps up this conversation about the holidays and the sacrifice by saying that Moses told all of this, relayed all this information to the Jewish people as God had instructed him or per God's instruction. Okay, so far, everything makes sense. We have the, the, the God commands, right? If you looked at uh, text 1a, this is all what God told Moses to tell the Jewish people. And text 1b is where everything's wrapped up. And um, yeah, and Moses does it. He tells all the Jewish people, all these laws of the holidays and the sacrifices, the whole kit and caboodle. Great. Wonderful. Everything makes sense. Here's the problem. All right, let me stop sharing so I can see you all. Here's the problem. Problem is, this is not the only time that we find a mention of the Jewish holidays in the Torah. In fact, the Jewish holidays are found multiple times in the Torah, including all the way back a book ago. Not in book number four. We're in book number four of the Torah out of five, right? We're in the book of Numbers. All the way back, one book prior, the book of Leviticus, the Torah portion there is Emar. Over there, the Torah also, God also tells Moses about the holidays with a slight variation. So our first analysis, all right, I'm telling you what we're going to do before we do it. Our first analysis is going to be understanding the distinction between the holidays as detailed in this week's Torah portion, Pinchas, which we just read a little excerpt from, versus the way the holidays are covered in a book, a book ago in the Torah portion of Emar, in, that, in, in the book of Leviticus. Take a look at the next text that I pull up on the screen. This is going to be text number two. Donna Bogatin, please read text number two from Leviticus chapter 23. Take it away. The first day of the seventh month should be a day of rest, a memory of Israel through shofar sounding, a holy occasion. Do not perform any works of labor and bring a fire offering to God. Beautiful. And I'm going to ask you, not only you, Donna, but everyone, get ready to hit that unmute button or hit it now. I want you to tell me, having read, I, I know there are small excerpts, but having read an excerpt from our parsha and an excerpt from MR, right, from an excerpt from our Torah portion in Numbers and an excerpt from a prior Torah portion Leviticus that both are speaking about the same holiday, right? This is the first day of the seventh month. This is also Rosh Hashanah. I want you to tell me what did you notice on an energy level, or not, not I don't mean like a mystical, but uh, what thematic different distinction do you see between the reading of text 1a and the reading of text 2 that we have here? Remember, text 1a, our Torah portion, Right, this is it, this, the, this is the excerpt, and then text two was this one. All right, who can, re by memory, tell me what they think is the difference between the two instances? Go. This one today doesn't talk about the offerings. This one, you mean text two, right? Text two does not talk about the offerings. Excellent, today. good. It mentions, let me elaborate, it mentions the offering. It says bring a fire offering to God, but it doesn't detail the offerings, correct? It talks about the overall observance of the holiday. It says Rosh Hashanah, right? First day of the seventh month. It's number one, a day of rest. Number two, it's a day of shofar sounding. Number three, it's a holiday, it's a holy occasion. Number four, don't do any work. And number five, you bring a fire offering to God. What offering? What animals? Give me details. Give me numbers. Give me, give me, not here. This is not where you're going to get the details. Where do you get the details? Let's go back to text 1a. Ah, uh, here you have from our Torah portion a focus on the animals. Yes, I, I understand that it begins by calling it a holy occasion and not doing work. But the main, and it talks about shofar also, but the main emphasis here is on what that burnt offering is. It's a bull, a ram, seven lambs in the first year, which means, which means that we have a tale of two holidays or 
two tales of the same holiday. In one detailing of the holiday, we have primarily the observances of the holiday. What do you do on the holiday, right? That's what Leviticus brings to the table. In the book of Leviticus, in the Torah portion of Amr, we have primarily the discussion of the practices of the holiday. In, in, in our Torah portion, which was text 1a from the book of Numbers, in other words, Pinchas, this week's Torah portion, we have not so much a focus on the law, the general laws of the holiday, but specifically focused on the sacrificial service that was done for that specific holiday. Does that make sense, what I'm telling you? Yes? Does that make sense? All right, let me throw a monkey wrench into this. All right, you ready? You thought it was fine until now. Yeah, one is talking about general laws, one is talking about sacrificial law, holidays, there's two instances. Okay, each one has its focus. Honestly, it sounds great. There's a problem. Okay, and I need to introduce this by giving you a bit of a timeline here. You know, um, trivia question. You all know this answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How many years were the Jews wandering in the desert? Jump in. 40. 40. Good, 40 years. Good, excellent, excellent. Now, why 40 years? Why 40 years? I'll give you the answer. Why 40 years? Because when the spies went to check out the land of Israel and came back with a negative report upon which the people said, we don't want to go in. This place is crazy, right? So they had traversed the land, the spies, toured the land for 40 days. God said, a year per day, 40 days of touring, 40 years of wandering and then come back in 40 years, and we're going to go into the land of Israel. So the whole duration from when they left Egypt, okay, from the Exodus until they finally stepped foot in Israel, it took them 40 years, and they were wandering. And no, it's not because, you know, men don't like asking for directions. No, 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 it's not because of that. It's because, that was a joke, it's be, although it's also true, it's a joke and it's true. But it's but primarily, not primarily, the re real reason is because God had said, you're not going to go in. Now I need to tell you something pretty mind-blowing. The Torah portion of Emar, the Leviticus text 2 that we had. Yeah, you remember text 2? Talked about the holidays? Yeah. That was said at the beginning of the 40 years. That was said like, I don't know, a year and a little bit after the Exodus. So it's at the beginning of the journey. The beginning of the journey. This week's Torah portion, the Torah portion of Pinchas, happens at the end of the 40 years. Are you with me on what I'm about to say? Can you anticipate this? Again, the Leviticus quote was said 40, 39 years prior to this week's Torah portion's conversation about the same holidays. Which leads me to four questions. 40 years, four questions. All right, that little factoid that I dropped on you about time, about, you gotta know the timeline here. Once you know the timeline, enter four questions. Question number one. The most basic question is, why are the holidays, sorry, why is the discussion of the holidays and the holiday laws divided into two completely different Torah portions? Two completely different books of the Torah spanning 39 years. That doesn't make sense. If God is teaching Moses about the holidays, why didn't he just give him all of the info at the same time? The general laws, the sacrificial laws, the whole deal back in, you know, when he first communicated it. Why did God tell him, Moses at the beginning of the 40 years, hey, by the way, this is how you do the holidays. Um, oh, and, and then 40 years, 39 years later, oh, here's how you do the sacrifices. Why did God divide the command into two different iterations, two different instances of communication, two different Torah portions on two different books, in two different books, spanning 39 years? Is that a good question? It's a very good question. Question number two. I'm glad you agree. Question number two. Okay? Why, and you're probably, I would bet that some of you, at least some of you are anticipating this question, and it's niggling at your brain, if that's a real word. It's kind of like, you know, tickling your, I don't know, your frontal cortex or whatever it's called, right? And I don't know if I got the right parts of the brain. It doesn't matter at this point. Here's the point. Second question. How is it even possible that Mo that God only communicated the laws of the sacrifices at the end 
of the 40 years of wandering. Are you with me on what I'm about to say? Yes? Yes? And Donna just asked the question in the chat. Donna's, <laughs> Donna's on top of this. Yeah, Donna's not fooling around. Donna's like, so that means they didn't bring the sacrifices for all the 40 years? Why would Donna conclude that? Because guess what wasn't communicated until the end of the 40 years? The sacrifices you're supposed to bring on Rosh Hashanah. It's Rosh Hashanah. Happy New Year. Apples and honey. We're not working. We're blowing the chauffeur. And we're bringing the burnt offering. What burnt offering? What, which animals? Come back in 39 years and I'll let you know. What is this? What is this business? What? God's dropping like, oh, just bring a burnt offering. I'm not telling you what it is. For 39 years later, it's like, this is what it is. doesn't make sense. So there's a technical question. Why would God divide a perfectly unified conversation? Why would it be divided into two halves of conversation spanning 39 years, two books, and two portions? Why? What's the point? But there's a deeper question. If you're only sharing the sacrificial info 40, 39 years later, so how did they do the sacrifices all those 39 years? Unless you conclude, like Donna said, that maybe they didn't bring the sacrifices, there's no indication. There's no indication that they waited to the end of 40 years to bring the sacrifices. It seems, rather, that they had to bring the sacrifices the whole time they were in the desert. They had a mishkan, they had a temple, they had an altar. What was the altar for? For sacrifices. So there were holidays. There was Shabbat, which you bring a Musaf offering, you bring communal offerings. There was Rosh Chodesh every month, the first of the month. They had all these sacrifices. So which animals are they bringing? How do you know which animals to bring? Come back in 39 years. But, but what about all these years? So how did they even do it? It's a, I'm asking a very pragmatic question. I'm not asking, you know, why, why divide a conversation? I'm asking if you divide the conversation, so then how do you have the information that you need 39 years prior, and 38, and 37, and 36 years prior. What about all of those Rosh Hashanahs? How did they know how to do the sacrifices all of those years if that communication only came later? And that's only question number two. I told you I had a bunch of questions. All right, you ready for question number three? Yeah? Yeah, all right. Even if you don't nod, I'm ready to go. Question number three. Question number three is, why does the Torah portion... And by telling us, and Moses, um, I'm going to read it. Um, hold on one second. This was 1B. And Moses spoke to the children of Israel all of, sorry. And Moses spoke to the children of Israel of all that God had instructed him. So God told Moses to tell the people, and Moses told the people. Isn't that a bit unnecessary? What, we thought that God would have told Moses the details and then Moses wouldn't have delivered the information? That doesn't make any sense. Why does the Torah need to tell us that Moses followed through and told everybody all the laws? Don't we know that that's kind of obvious? And if you're wondering, well, how do we know that God told Moses to tell him all that stuff? Well, that's just because we haven't done text 3. Aha! See that? Surprise. I'm going to read text 3. This is the intro, the preamble in our Torah portion to the conversation about the sacrifices. Take a look. And God spoke to Moses saying, you ready? Instruct the children of Israel and say to them, my offering, dot, 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 you shall be careful to bring in its time. In other words, here are the offerings that you should bring in its time. In other words, on each holiday, on its appointed time or in its appointed time, every holiday, don't miss... Rosh Hashanah offering on Rosh Hashanah. Don't bring your Passover offering on Sukkot. Make sure you're doing it right, etc. What's the point? The point is that God introduces this entire section. The Torah introduces the section by telling us that God told Moses to tell this to the children of Israel. Why then is it necessary for the wrap-up of this, for it to conclude with this phrase, and Moses spoke to the children of Israel of all that God had instructed him. Don't we know that if God had told him to convey the message, that he would have done it? Isn't it unnecessary? Let me, let me, let me give you a foundation for this question. We know, based on the commentaries, based on our sages, that there's nothing as superfluous text in the Torah. There is no such thing as any phrase, chapter, verse, word, or even letter in the Torah that's unnecessary, that's extra, that is not telling us some sort of insight. Which means 
that if it's there, there's an instruction. Well, listen, if God tells Moses to tell this to the people, and then he tells him what he's supposed to tell him, then you better bet, right? You better bet that Moses is going to convey that. It seems unnecessary for the Torah to say, oh, and you know what happened next? You'll never guess. Moses actually told the people exactly what God told him to tell the people. Yeah, we know that. That is extra. It's superfluous. Okay, so that's our third question. Why does the Torah need to wrap it up by saying that Moses delivered the message? Obviously, he delivered the message. That's what he was told to do. Finally, the fourth question, I'm going to go over these questions in a second, just to quickly review. The fourth question is on this, on this very topic. Why, in fact, did God tell Moses to teach these laws to the entire people? Who needed to know the laws of the sacrifices? Jump in, jump in, jump in. Who needed to know the sacrificial law? The priests and the Levites, the Kohanim and Levim, the priests and the Levites, yeah? The ones who were working in the temple. Yeah? The ones who were working in the temple. So why does God say to Moses, oh, by the way, I want you to blast this out to the entire people, right? And then Moses does, the whole thing seems unnecessary. Why tell everybody the laws pertaining only to the Kohen? You, you want to tell a lot to the Kohen, tell a lot to the Kohen, but why tell it to everybody about the offerings that the Kohen only needed to know how to bring? This is my fourth How question. How did you know if the Kohen were doing it right if you didn't know? Aren't we supposed to be a nation of priests? Oh, good. Okay, wait. So we have two points here. Okay, one second, one second. Two good points. So number one, how would we know if the priests are doing it right? So here's the thing. It, it would have been written in Torah for us all to learn, but when Moses was conveying it, he would have conveyed it, the Torah would have recorded it as Moses teaching it, to the priests. Now, it would have been on record, you know, because it's on record. Torah is a record of these communications. So we would have had it, you know, for the, for the purposes of kind of checking it against, you know, what's supposed to be. But it wouldn't have been delivered directly to all the people. That seems, again, that seems unnecessary. That seems distracting. If everyone is, Moses says, guys, come, I want to tell you how to bring the offerings in the temple on the holidays. You're like, uh, I'm not a priest. You probably want the Kohanim. I mean, I don't, I don't mind reading up on it later, but you really don't need to tell me all these, all these laws, all these details. What's the point? So that, that hopefully addresses that. And the other question is, um, yeah, but we're called, or maybe the other, the other idea is not a question, but the other um, response is, but we are a nation of priests. Yes, we are. That's what, it was, that's what, it, that's what God calls, us bef uh, um, calls the Jewish people before the experience at Sinai. But that is kind of like, I don't mean to downplay it or, you know, I'm, look, who am I to say, don't take it literally, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're all Kohanim to the extent that we have the official capacity to bring the sacrifices. In fact, if an Israelite, i.e. a non-Kohen, said, hey, bro, I'm a Kohen because I'm in the nation of priests, so I'm going to show up to the temple, I'm going to do the service, I mean, that would be a violation of, of the boundaries. A non-Kohen is not allowed to go it, to bring an offering in the temple. I mean, you could, sorry, you can bring a coin, but you can't, well, you can offer the sacrifice, but you can't perform the service of offering the sacrifice. So uh, you can't actually, you can donate it, but you can't do the process. So yeah, we're all a priest, a kingdom of priests. Mamlechet Kohanim, yeah, but not literally. It's like, we don't call everyone up for the Kohen Aliyah in the, in the, in the synagogue, right, on, 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 at the Torah reading, because everyone's a nation of priests. Everyone is, everyone's holy, but not everyone's a Kohen on a literal level. So both good points, but I, I think we're still left with some questions. So to recap, just super fast, this is like the 42nd version of the four questions. So we spoke about two instances of holiday conversation, instruction in Torah, one in Leviticus, which tells us the laws, the general laws of the holiday, one in Numbers, in this week's Torah portion, which tells us about the sacrificial laws. We asked the question, number one, why, divide, why split into two? And spanning 39 years. Number two, if it did span 39 years, how do they know how to bring the sacrifices all those 39 years until the end? Number three, what was my third question? My third question was, oh, why does the Torah go out of its way to tell us that Moses delivered the message to all the people? God had told him to do so. And our fourth question is, why did God tell him actually to deliver the message to all the people if it was only relevant to the priests? Yes? Make sense? Questions? All right. Good. Listen. You got questions, we got answers. Who was that, Radio Shack or something? 
I don't know anymore. It's been a while. You've got questions, we've got answers. Was that Radio Shack? Was that Staples? Was that, who was? Yeah, no, that was easy. That was Staples. Okay, that, um, we love to fly and it shows. What was, who was that? Was that Delta? Delta, we love to fly and it shows. It's the real thing. Okay, now is not the time for slogans. Now is the time for Torah study. Here is the core of the explanation that the Rebbe gives. The Rebbe asks all of these questions and more. I'm paring down the, uh, the, the analysis to make it, you know, digestible, easily digestible. The Rebbe explains something that is super, super duper powerful. There's one idea that answers all of the questions. All that we asked and more, one nikuda, one point to answer all of the questions. And that is this. In truth, 39 years prior to our conversation in this week's Torah portion, at the beginning of the 40 years, at the time that the book of Leviticus is discussing, God told Moses everything about the holidays. God told Moses the general laws, and God taught Moses the sacrificial laws as well. Are you with me what I'm saying? God taught Moses all of the laws of all the holidays, both the general laws and the sacrificial law. And God told Moses to tell the priests about the sacrifices. Which tells us that, which means that most God had communicated it to Moses and Moses had communicated that information to the priests and the Levites who had to know what they were doing from day one of the tabernacle being open. Does that make sense what I just said? These laws that we read in this week's Torah portion for the first time have been communicated prior. God had told Moses prior. Moses had told the priests prior. The fact that it's not mentioned in the, in the Torah, the fact that, oh, how do we know this? It's not written. That's not a question. Because there are many laws, sorry, there are many details of the laws that are not written in Torah. Okay, let me explain this. There are thousands, literally thousands of laws that are discussed in the Talmud that are derived from verses and, and, and drawn out from biblical verses from, from what's written in Scripture that are not clearly explicated, that are not clearly um, defined in the five books themselves. So how do we know them? Oftentimes, they are what we know, tradition. It was taught to Moshe, to Moses at Sinai, and it was passed down in the oral law throughout the generations. It's something that we know. It's a tradition, the, the tradition that we have, even though it's not written. And so therefore, it's not a stretch at all to say simply this. God told Moses the laws of the holidays, all of the laws, all of the laws, including the laws of the burnt offerings and the details of the burnt offerings. But it's not recorded in Torah. It's something that Moses was meant to verbally convey. The details Moses verbally conveyed to the priests at the beginning of the 40 years. And this answers a bunch of questions. This answers for sure question number two, which is, well, how did they know how to bring the sacrifices all these 40 years if they didn't have the laws? They had the laws. God told Moses, Moses told the priests. It's not written in Leviticus. All right, not all the laws are written in all their details. Torah would be much bigger if all of the details were written out. Not all the details are written out of any mitzvah. Tefillin? You kidding me? Go find me a place in Scripture that tells you that tefillin, phylacteries, are black boxes with leather straps put, put you know, with a shin on the side. You're not going to find it in Torah. You're not going to... It was taught to Moses. Moses taught it to us. And we have it recorded. Ultimately, it's written down. But it was passed down generation after generation. So the same thing is true here. God, Moses wrote down that you have to bring burnt offerings. Which burnt offerings? Which animals? How many of each? God told Moses. Moses told the priests. There's no problem here. So how did the Kohanim, how did the priests and Levites know what to do in Rosh Hashanah for all the 40 years, for all 39 years? 
they had instruction. But all of this leads to the big question. And that question is, if they had the laws 39 years prior, including the sacrificial law, help me ask the question, if God told Moses all of the laws and all of the details, including the sacrifices, for the priests to know at the beginning of the 40 years, so what's the question now in our Torah portion? So why? So why do we have to, well, it's not only read about it, it seems that God is now, at the end of the 40 years, introducing to telling Moses to now tell this, why is now, why is God now telling Moses to share it, if it was already shared before. And now you know the answer also. I know you guys know the answer. What's the answer? Who did he tell 39 years prior? Oh, the, oh, the first generation. But who did he tell in that first generation? Which subset of Jews did he tell about the sacrifices? For them to know what to do, who did he tell? Oh, and then the Levites. The priests and the Levites. And who did he tell now, 40 years later? Everybody. 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 That's what's going on. So I got to break this down to make sure everyone gets it. 39 years prior, I know it's 40 years, but really they only, got, they only built the Mishkan a, a, after year one. So it's really only 39 years. Okay, so 39 years prior, God tells Moses, listen up. You got to tell this to the people. Tell them about the holiday observances. Tell them about the laws of the holidays, the do's and the don'ts of every Jewish holiday. And tell the priests which sacrifices to bring. Done. Everything's fine. The Jews know what to do. The priests and Levites know what to do. Everyone's on the same page. 39 years later, at the end of the 40 years of wandering, this week's Torah portion, Pinchas, God says to Moses, I have another announcement. Tell everybody, listen to this, tell everybody about the sacrifices. Because 39 years ago, you told everybody about the general observances and only the priests about the sacrifices. Now, after 39 years, I want you to make an announcement to whom? To everybody. And that's where the Torah reiterates it again, once at the top and once at the end. God says to Moses to share this to all the people and, and about the sacrifices. And the Torah wraps it up by saying, and you know who Moses told? Not just the priests. Because the priests knew about this 39 years prior. Who did Moses tell now? Everybody. But my friends, all of this raises another question. What's the question? Help me why out here. Why is it relevant to everybody? Boom. If you're a non-priest, it doesn't matter whether it's the beginning of the 39 years. It doesn't matter whether it's the end of the 39 years. What do, I'm not a priest, Right? My mother is the daughter of a priest. My grandfather, a blessed memory, was a Kohen. A very proud Kohen. I am not a Kohen. So the question is, simple. Why would I need to be told by Moses about the sacrifices? Let the priests know about the sacrifices. As they were told 39, at the beginning of the, ta of the tabernacles when it was first built, 39 years prior, why at the end of the 40 years suddenly... Is God telling Moses, you know what? I want you to put this on blast. Let everybody know about this. Scream this from the rooftops, from the hilltops. Let all the Jewish people know exactly what to do with the sacrifices. Why in the world would everyone need to know about the details of the sacrifices? It would be written or be recorded somehow or another. Why does it need to be communicated on such a very clear and open level? I want to share with you my screen. So we can see this inside in the Rebbe's own words. All right, I'm going to skip a bunch of texts, and we're going to go straight to text 7. Here we go. This is where the Rebbe elucidates what I said before. I'm going to read this. In comparing and contrasting the two sections of Torah that speak about the holidays, the Rebbe explains that the first section talked about only the general instructions to the Jews and the specific instructions of the, of the sacrifices of the priests. Let me pick it up over here. This Torah, I wasn't reading before, I was just speaking. Now I'm reading. This Torah portion, our Torah portion, Pinchas in Numbers, adds a new wrinkle. Instruct the children of Israel, i.e. the entire people, and say to them, God instructs all Jews to ensure that these offerings are brought at the right time. 
However, the details and the rules had already been presented to Moses 40 years, 39, whatever, years earlier, and he had conveyed them to the priests who were responsible for the offerings. So he had already told those details to the priests, but now there's a new wrinkle. Instruct all of the Jewish people. All everyone should know. But again, that just leads to the question, the last, very last question that I asked before I showed you this text, the very last question I asked is, yeah, but why? Why would the non-Kohen Jew need to be instructed directly from God through Moses about the sacrifices? Why? And I need to share with you four mind-blowing... I know we're, we're doing this class in fours for some reason. I need to share with you four mind-blowing ideas and, and that are going to lead directly to some powerful takeaways. Idea number one, this is big mind-blowing idea number one. Torah study, and let's listen carefully. Torah study is a mitzvah unto itself. I'll say that again. To study Torah is a mitzvah. So it's not just the mitzvah that I need to, that I study Torah to know the mitzvah that I need to do. Okay, you know what? Let me start, let me start, let me start, let me back up, let me back up. Let me back up. All right, let, let me, let me, uh, Make this simpler. One perspective about Torah study is that the, the purpose of Torah study is so that you know how to do the mitzvah. Right? We, we, have, we have 613 mitzvot. How do I know what to do? Well, you got to study. So you study the Torah to know what you need to do. But if that were the case, then the mitzvot that, were not applicable, that are not applicable to you, you wouldn't need to study. Are you with me on that? So if you were a non-Kohen, you would not need to study the mitzvot that were associated with the Kohen because if Torah study is all about just studying what you need to know for what you need to do, what you need to know to do what you need to do, then if you don't need to do it, then you don't need, no, then you don't need to study it. Does that make sense? At all? Yes? Sort of? Okay. Yeah. But Torah study is not just about knowing what to do. There's a mitzvah. One of the 613 mitzvot is to study Torah. In other words, Torah study is not a means to an end. It's an ends unto itself. You with me on this? There's two ways to look at Torah. Number one, Torah is a means to an end. Torah tells you how to do the mitzvah. So the whole point is the mitzvah, the Torah is how to get there. Another perspective is no. I mean, Torah also is a means to an end, but Torah is also an ends unto itself because it is a mitzvah. It is a mitzvah to study Torah. Which part of Torah? Every part of Torah. Even the parts that you will never need to perform. There's a mitzvah to study it. And when you study it, it does amazing things. Thus, how do we know this? From this week's Torah portion. From the fact that God says to Moses, 39 years later, by the way, Remember all those details of the sacrifices that you told the priest because the priest needed to know, but you didn't tell the people because the people didn't need to know? I want you to tell the people also about these details. Why? So that they can study Torah. It's a part of Torah that's not applicable to them, but learning it is Torah study. So I want them to study Torah. Does that make sense? Yes? Sort of? Point number two. Point number two, studying Torah is not just a mitzvah. Studying Torah is an act of profound connection. It's how we gain an intimate connection with God. And let me explain what I mean. It's how we crawl, so to speak, into God's head and, 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 and figure out or get a sense of how God thinks and what God wants. So they're studying something in order to execute something, in order to do something, so I need to study it. And then they're studying it for the sake of understanding it better. I'm studying this not to do anything. I'm studying this to understand this better. When it comes to Torah study, again, same two, two objectives. They're studying Torah to know what to do, and then they're studying Torah simply to connect with God's wisdom, 
The Torah is God's wisdom. It's God's will. It's what God wants. It's how God thinks. It's divine logic. It's divine rationale. It's divine wisdom. Who doesn't want to connect with that? And so God gives us the opportunity in this week's Torah portion. Yes, in this Torah portion, Pinchas, having already given the pragmatic, having already given the functional communication 39 years prior to the priests about the holiday sacrifices, God turns back to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to share this piece of info with every single Jew. Why? Not because they need to do it. But because, number one, it's a mitzvah, and number two, it will help them connect with me by studying my Torah, studying my wisdom, studying my wants, and maybe even needs, if we could be so bold to say that God needs us to do a mitzvah, by studying this, yeah, we gain insight into God's mind. We gain an intimate connection with God. In fact, in the book of Tanya, he uses this terminology of intimacy with the mind. He says, when you understand something, so your mind envelops the concept. You gr- we, we use phrases like grasp a concept. We use like physical spatial terminology when it comes to ideas. We say, oh, you know, I, I, I don't get what you're saying or I got what you're saying. We use physical like grasping terminology regarding concepts. Why? Because when you understand a concept, your mind on some level is conceptually grasping it. It's surrounding it and encompassing it from all sides. As the author Rebbe says in Tanya, the founder of Chabad says in the book of the, the Holy Book of Tanya, he says that there's a union between the mind and the idea, that the mind grasps the idea, and if, you're, if your mind is filled with the idea, then guess what? That idea just grasped you as much as you grasped it. As much as you have a hold over it, guess what? It has your attention too. It has a hold over you. You're surrounding it, and it's surrounding you. That means there's an intimacy. You're in it, it's in you, and you're intertwined. There's a conceptual intimacy, a mental intimacy when it comes to understanding something. A cerebral intimacy. So you study about uh, Shakespeare. So who are you being cerebrally intimate with? Shakespeare. Shkoyach, wonderful. Was Shakespeare a nice guy? I don't even know. I don't know. Bill, who knows? We got to look that up. But when you study God's wisdom, yeah, who are you connecting with? The Abisher, the creator, the author of life. Does it get any better than this? So you say, you know what, one second, slow down. I don't need to know that. I'm not a Kohen. You don't need to, you don't need to know that? Who says you don't need to know that? What do you mean? You have an opportunity to get inside God's mind to understand something that God wants wants from the world and you're not going to take it? It's a missed opportunity. That's why God says to Moses, 39 years later, tell all of these seemingly irrelevant details to everybody because there's a mitzvah to study. Call HaTorah Kula, the entire Torah. Even if you can't do it, study it. Number one. Number two, when you study it, you become close with Hashem, with the author of it. You become intertwined with God's mind. Even more so, point number three. When we study the the pieces of Torah that are not relevant to us, it highlights even even more so that we're not doing it, we're not studying to do something. We're studying it purely for the sake of connection. Right? When you study Torah that you can apply, so you even might think that you're studying it to know what to do, so it's about the application and maybe the study is not that important. But when you're studying something that you'll, you'll never be able to do because you're not a Kohen, so the whole experience is only about the study because there's no application. So it's only about the study, which makes it a pure connective experience. It's a pure experience of connection, much deeper than when you study it, when you study something that you can't apply. Okay, so those are three points. I have a fourth point, which I'm going to share with you in a moment. But first, I need to tell you something incredible. How many laws are there in the United States of America? How many laws? Thousands. Thousands. Too many? Too many, good. The average person, yeah, knows all of the laws? No. 
do they need to know all of the laws? No, no. I mean, if you need, if you have a, if, if you, well, you need to know the whole tax code. No, you need to know international business law. I mean, if you're, look, if you, if you need to know, then you need to know. But otherwise, that's what that's why God created lawyers, right? That if when you, and, and that's why there are lawyers, because when you encounter one of the many areas of law in which we're not familiar with, so we hire a professional who is familiar. I, am, am I stating the obvious? Are you all on the same page with me? That's why lawyers exist, because we don't know the law? I want to contrast that with Torah. God has an expectation of us. We should all be experts in the entire law. Are you with me on this? Do you understand this? Like, I wish I could have, like, it's like mind-blowing, like, if sound effects, or which I kind of just did, or like some visuals that would pop up on the screen to just draw you into my excitement for this idea. In America... There's no mitzvah to know all the laws. You don't have to know the laws. No one wants you to know all the laws. No one's expecting you to know the laws. You don't want to know all the laws. It's off the table. You need to know the law. You hire a lawyer. That's what lawyers are paid for. And the lawyers fight out the law amongst themselves to figure it out. In Torah, everyone is meant to know all the laws. That's the point of this week's parsha. That's exactly what God tells Moses. I want you to turn around and go back to the Jewish people and tell them, this is what you need to know. I'm not a coin. Who cares? You have to know all the laws. We're all obligated to study kol ha-Torah, kula, the whole Torah. That's why we read the whole Torah. You ever notice that? Uh, you might have noticed because you're in Torah studies every week, right? You ever notice that we study the whole Torah and you're like, Maybe you're thinking, why are we studying Torah? Like, ah, we don't have a temple. Like, who's bringing the sacrifices? <laughs> we study the laws because we study the laws. We're people of the book. That's what we do. We study the laws. Not because we're a lawyer and not because we're going to apply it necessarily, but because it's Torah. And that's what we do. We study Torah. No agenda. No ulterior motive. No, what's the payoff? No, like, okay, where, how does it help me? Straight up, we study the laws because we're Jewish, and that's what we do. We study the Torah. That's it. So 40 years, 39 years prior, God gave pragmatic instruction to tell the general populace the, what they need to know, tell the priests what they need to know, and that's it. The end of the 40 years, God says to Moses, get everyone back, call everyone back, and say, by the way, here's what you didn't know before. Learn this. Be an expert in this. What, what, why, why, hold on. What, what, you want me to do this? No. So then why do we need to know it? Because you need to be knowledgeable. Because you're Jewish. Because you need to know the Torah. You need to know the laws. In the U.S., no one wants you to know all the laws. It doesn't happen that everyone learns all the laws. But in Torah, we're all meant to study the entire Torah. That's, we go through it every year. We go through it every year. In fact, the Rebbe said, the Rebbe started a campaign 1985 to study Rambam, to study Mishnah Torah, the teachings of the Rambam, the Halacha, the Halachot of Rambam, to finish it in a little less than a year. An annual cycle studying three chapters a day. Today, there's the Rebbe also said if you can't study three chapters a day of Rambam, maybe one chapter a day, or even safer a mitzvot, but every year or three years to go through the whole Torah. Not only the written Torah, which we do in synagogue, but Maimonides, Rambam, codifies the entire oral Torah. We're meant to study literally all of the laws, all of Torah. It's a big mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to study Torah, even if it doesn't have a practical application for the aforementioned reasons. I, I'm very excited about that idea, and I hope you're as excited as I am. It's hard to tell on Zoom, but I'm just going to assume that you are. My final point. One final point <laughs> um, is this. There's another angle on all of this with another powerful takeaway. I just want to say one thing. Isn't it, but if we're going to know everything, isn't that going to put the rabbis out of business? All right, I'll be quiet now. <laughs> Halavai. Halavai, everybody should teach Torah, should know Torah and teach Torah. Trust me, it's, this is, that would be a good thing. There's no, there's, no, there's no downside in any of this. Trust me. All right, here's one final point. Moses knew, God knew, and perhaps even Moses knew 
We don't have to say Moses. God knew that at some point in time, there wouldn't be a temple anymore. We don't have a temple today, right? For the last 2,000 years, no temple? Okay. So God knew that there wouldn't be a temple. And God knew that there wouldn't be an opportunity to bring sac- that for the priest to bring sacrifices. But as you may know, there is a spiritual analog or a spiritual parallel to the sacrifices. What is it? How do we bring sacrifices today? Prayer. Prayer. What else? Good. Prayer. What else? Prayer. Tzedakah. Good. Acts of kindness. What else? One last. Mitzvot. Mitzvot are like acts of kindness. What else? What else? Torah study. Torah study. How do I know this? Am I making this up? Right? Adam's like, what, just because you're a rabbi, you're going to make things up? No, I'm not going to just make things up. I'm going to show you chapter and verse, text 10a. 10a, the the Midrash says, um, uh, I'm going to cut to the chase. Look at this last line. Now that the temple is destroyed, all we can do is pray. So prayer instead of the temple sacrifices. Text 10b. Look at this. Last line of this one. Those who study the Torah are deemed to have brought a burnt offering. Instead of a burnt offering, what do we do? Study Torah. And text C says, Do not be distressed. An equivalent expiation remains to us. What is it? The mitzvah, at the, the last line, the mitzvah to bestow kindness. Gemilut chasadim. We have here three teachings from our sages, from the Talmud and the Midrash, as to what we can do today instead of bringing offerings. We don't have a temple. We don't have an altar. We don't bring sacrifices. What can we do? Source number one says, Pray. Source number two says study Torah. Source number three says do acts of kindness. And what's the answer? All of the above. All of the above. God knew that there would come a time when there's no temple. A time when the priests will not offer sacrifices. And instead, what are we going to need to do? Pray, study Torah, and offer sacrifices. And, sorry, and, uh, and do acts of kindness. And who's going to do that? All of us. And that's why God tells Moses, tell the the instructions of the sacrifices to whom? To everybody, foreshadowing a time and an era when who will be bringing the sacrifices spiritually? All of us. And my friends, this is the final lesson that I want to share with you tonight. We find ourselves now in the time known as the three weeks. The three-week period that is bookended by two fast days that are designated as fast days and days of mourning over the destruction of the two holy temples that we had and we lost. Temple 1 was destroyed on the ninth day of Av. Temple 2 was destroyed also on the ninth day of Av. We just had a fast day this past Sunday. It was the 17th of Tammuz. That's the day that they breached the walls of Jerusalem. That's the day that everything started. It was clear where this was headed. Three weeks it took, and on the 9th of Av, the temple was burning. And when that happened, Judaism had to pivot away from a temple, away from a sacrificial, centrist um, religion, to a more, a bit of a broader scope. And it's not a new religion. It's not a new Torah. Everything is founded. And we don't have time right now in this wrap-up to go through it. But it pivoted away from temple to shul, synagogue, home, community, a different style, a different flavor, a slightly different flavor. And instead of bringing sacrifices, we offer prayer. And instead of bringing sacrifices, we study Torah. Instead of bringing sacrifices, we serve others with acts of kindness. And God says to Moses, as He says to us, this week, Parshat Pinchas, God says to us, I want you and you and you and you to bring the sacrifices. Make this world a better place. Make this entire world my home and my temple. Bring light And fill this world with my light. And when we do this, we fulfill God's command to Moses, speak to the Jewish people and tell them the laws of the sacrifices. And Moses thus told these laws to all of us. Let us not neglect this charge. Let us uphold this charge. Let us carry this mandate with love and with passion and with zeal and with appreciation. How lucky and fortunate we are to have Torah, to have the mitzvot, to have the opportunity to bring light into this world in such a unique and powerful way. Let us not drop the ball. Let us not drop the baton. Thousands of years 
hundreds of generations of our predecessors have taken the baton from their parents and run with it to bring light into the world, that torch of goodness and godliness and Torah, they've run with it. And when their time was up, they passed it to, they passed it to the next generation, and to the next generation, to the next generation, and now you and I are here. We are the ones roaming on this earth. Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, not Joseph, not Moses, not David, not Solomon, not Rabbi Akiva, and not the Baal Shem Tov, and not the Arizal. Us. Us. And you might say, who am I? Who am I to carry the torch? It doesn't matter. You're here. They're not. You are, and I am. And it's our job to not drop the baton, to keep on running. When the world shakes beneath our feet, when the world seems like it's collapsing, we have our mandate, and that is keep on moving forward. Keep on moving upward. Never become paralyzed, not with fear, not with anxiety, not with darkness, not with nothing. No, no paralysis, only moving forward. We have a world to transform and the clock is ticking and there's no time to waste. We bring the sacrifices every day. God told Moses, tell, all of, tell the entire nation they have to bring the sacrifices. There will come a time when it's going to be incumbent upon every single one of us and that time is now. Let's embrace the call of this week's Torah portion. Let's bring the spiritual sacrifices. Let's bring God's presence back down to earth. And let's celebrate before the ninth of Av with the third temple may be rebuilt. Speed in our days and let us say, Amen. Thank you for joining me tonight for Torah studies. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, a few, a few thank you, a thank you. A few quick announcements. Announcement number one. Tomorrow night, in the spirit of the three weeks, the spirit of uh, yearning for Mashiach and the rebuilding of the temple and all of the wonderful blessings and miracles that will occur with the coming of Mashiach, we're going to have a brand. We're going to begin launch a brand new course all about the resurrection of the dead. Techiat Hametim. It's one of the 13 principles of Jewish faith. It's not a fringe belief. It's not like, some. well, some Jews believe. Rambam Maimani says it's a core belief. Again, in, in Jewish law, this is a core principle of Judaism without which you don't have Judaism. It's one of the foundations. Take away the foundation, you don't have a structure anymore. This is one of the foundational beliefs in Judaism. We've talked about it before in other contexts, kind of like, you know, a little bit, of resurrection here or there, this will be a three-week course dedicated to the ins and outs of understanding the resurrection of the dead. You don't want to miss this. 8 p.m. tomorrow on Zoom. It's a 60-minute class. Join me if, you, if you're not sure yet. Try out the first class in town, jewishacademy.org slash resurrection. I would be remiss in not mention, if I did not mention that on Ju July 13th, Tuesday, July 13th, we're going to be having a very special event, and the event is with the Jewish Indiana Jones, whose name is Rabbi Avram Stolik. He is an incredible teacher, and the, the, um, the topic is called The Archaeological Claim to Jerusalem, Revealing Secrets Some Don't Want You to Know, <sighs> Uncovering the Greatest Finds Under the Holy City of Jerusalem that Reveal the Jewish Connection to the Holy Land that May Seem Obvious, First of all, even if it is obvious to you and to those that you love, the findings are still mind-blowing, and the latest findings certainly are mind-blowing, so you want to join in for that. And also, it's good to know what to, what to say when somebody says that uh, the Jewish connection began in 1948 and is founded on a lie. So you can tell them, 1948? Yeah, maybe 1948 of the Jewish count of years when Abraham was born, but that... Yeah, because that's when Abraham was born. But not this 1948. That's not when the Jewish connection to the land was, uh, was, was born. And if you want proof, I got archaeological proof right here. Because I was at the Archaeological Claim to Jerusalem workshop on Zoom at Intown Jewish Academy. So check that out, intownjewishacademy.org slash maybe Jerusalem. Or just go to intownjewishacademy.org and it's on the homepage. Check that out. I also wanted to do one more thing that I promised before, which is send you the link for Amazon, for the book, and here it is. I'm about to drop it into the chat. I love when the browser remembers stuff that you've looked up before and it becomes really easy to send to everybody. So that is the Amazon product. I dropped it in the chat. If you want a book 
for the season. I always put up the text, you guys know that. The texts are always available, but if you want your own book, you can read it before or after the class. You can peruse additional texts and readings that I did not cover in the class because I do need to pare it down. If you would like it, that is an easy way to order it, straight to your house, straight to your home, at the, uh, at the touch of a button, the click of a button, and it's even got free Prime delivery, all for the low, low price of $15.95. If you have a Prime membership, it includes delivery for free. Final announcement, as I mentioned at the top of the class, in two weeks' time, we will be, we will be resuming in-person Torah Studies classes on Wednesday nights. Round of applause for in or I, I don't mind just doing it solo, it's cool. Right, round of applause for in-person classes. If you want, and I would love it, join us in person. Yeah, all your favorites will be back. Uh, not only people, but also the Danishes and the coffee and the tea. Remember those guys? They've been neglected. Don't worry, we didn't save the Danishes from, the, from, uh, from a year ago, from a year and a half ago. We got new stuff. We got a new, a new supply, a new stock. Join me in person or online. I'll have this in front of me, the same computer, but I'm probably going to do it like this because you guys know this, right? You guys know how I sit for Torah studies in front of the ark. So I'll probably do it like this. So if you're joining me next week, it'll it kind of look like this instead of like this. Either way, I, honestly, I just did that to, as an excuse to kind of walk around a little bit and hold my, my computer because I enjoyed doing that before. And, you know, it's, uh, it's another chance. All right, friends, it's great to see you all. I actually need to run. I, I usually like doing Q&A, but I've uh, talked myself out of time. So I wish you all a lot of and an inspiring week. And I hope to see you tomorrow night. We'll see you guys. Thank Take you. care. Lila Tov, Lila Tov everybody. Bye. Take care. Lots of love to everybody.